0: He's Well, today's program really is discovering music for me today because this is a kind of music, gospel music that like many millions of people all over the world I've heard and found thrilling and uplifting but I have to say I don't know very much about it. So today is a wonderful learning experience for me here at Stanborough Park Church where Ken Burton and his London Adventist Chorale are assembled to perform some gems from the Gospel repertoire and Ken himself is going to give us an introduction and tell us something about the history of Gospel and the meaning of Gospel. But first of all, Ken, now we've got you here in front of me, there's one question I'd really like to get straight in my mind because I think probably like a lot of people, there's a bit of a blur in my mind between terms like Gospel and spiritual. Are they the same thing? Are they different? Do they shade over into one another? How would you define gospel in that context?
1: The term gospel music has a dual application. The first applies to a practice and the second applies to a style. Talking about the practice, gospel can be defined as any musical style which tells the good news. Gospel comes from the Greek word evangelium where we get the words evangelist or evangelism from, which simply means good news. So the telling of good news in song is gospel music. But gospel also has a distinctive style, which was birthed in antebellum America and started its life as the rural unaccompanied spiritual and later on developed into what we now call gospel music. And the difference between the two is that the spiritual is more melancholic, which deals with themes of freedom, wanting to be free, and the hope of being free. It was created in a situation of servitude. Gospel was the new musical style, which was created after the Declaration of Emancipation in 1863, signed by President Abraham Lincoln. And it's more of an urban music style, music of the the churches, and tends to be more accompanied.
0: Spiritual, of course, didn't come from nowhere at all. And one thing that's really fascinated me, although it's very distinctive, what would you say were the, the roots of the spiritual style before that, the musical roots? The spiritual style comes directly from Africa.
1: During the crossings of the slaves to America, many tribes of the same language were actually separated from each other in order to lessen the chance of rebellion or escape. So the only way that the slaves actually communicated with each other were through moans, and groans, and hums, and chants. A little bit like, mmm, and another slave might say mmm, and that's how they used to communicate. But of course, as the English language was taught to them, they started communicating in music, speaking off their hope. And the African elements which have been preserved in the spiritual, very much the communal aspects of singing. In Africa, there's a lot of communal singing, much more than there is performance-based solo singing. And the interaction between group and leader, which was known as chord and response, was maintained. The rhythmic aspects were maintained. The melodic aspects of West Africa were maintained. harmonic processes which were caused by what we call polyrhythms or cross rhythms, which were several musical lines actually happening at once and the interesting textures which actually emanated from that. That is basically the spiritual.
0: Well, it's time to come to our first piece now. You've brought along a piece called My Soul's Been Anchored in the Lord, arranged by Moses Hogan. Could you tell us a bit about Moses Hogan? I think he's quite important in the history of gospel music, isn't he? Yes, Moses Hogan was
1: probably the most prominent arranger of spirituals he had a chorale known as the Moses Hogan Chorale out in America, and his style has much uh, complexity in it, in terms of the, the rhythms and in terms of the ways in which the actual various internal groups of the choir interact with each other. You can also detect a slight drama in his styles, almost what you would expect to experience when listening to film music, and you'll, you'll hear that in a minute.
0: Perhaps you could give us an example of the kind of thing you're talking about in the music. A very distinctive sound right from the start, isn't it? But but it's the beginning of of a long process of build-up, isn't it? What does he do on top of that? On top of that, he does something which is very
1: common in the performance of gospel music, which was beginning the song at a slower tempo, much more improvised, free meter, and then going into a much more measured tempo.
0: And that sort of builds to a climax, is that the idea? That builds
1: to a climax. Normally during the singing of the slow sections, you'd have people who were improvising and putting their own inflections and own flavours into it.
0: I think it'd be a good idea now to hear this piece. Perhaps you could just tell us a little bit about the text, though, first, and what it means. I think it's pretty clear what my my soul's anchored in the Lord means. But what's, what's the general message of this piece? It's
1: based on the parable which Jesus told about... A wise man building his house on rock and a foolish man building his house on the sand and the one who had his house on rock, the house stood firm during the storms. And that has been, in fact, a popular theme during the arrangement and the composition of hymns and gospel songs alike. So this song simply says that God is our anchor, he's our rock, and we stand firm on him.
2: In the Oh, yes.
0: My Soul's Been Anchored in the Lord, the London Adventist Chorale conducted by Ken Burton. Actually, one thing that was quite clear to me then that I never really struck me before, Ken, was that there is, first of all, this great emphasis on every single word is kind of delivered at great length. You make sure that you know exactly what the chorus is singing before it gets into the development later. Is that typical of the gospel style? Absolutely.
1: Every word was a form of release as people sang, so they would really stretch words out. I mean, you ain't heard nothing yet. (laughs) (laughs) I can't Uh, wait. Sometimes there would be several notes to one syllable, and that idea of spinning out several notes, melismatic style, is very, very indicative of the African influence. Is
0: that particularly in the case of Bible texts? I'm thinking because, you know, these are people who often believe that the Bible was the Word of God, weren't they?
1: There was a strong faith underlying, there still is a strong faith which underlies every one of these songs and the Bible is the the chief factor in in terms of these songs, lyrical content.
0: Right, the next spiritual or gospel piece you've brought along is Great Getting Up Morning. And I gather this is your own arrangement. I had a try. And you've incorporated, uh, I gather, some ragtime elements in this? Yes, there are ragtime
1: elements. The spiritual has been described as the the root and the trunk of all of the uh, african american musical stars which developed from it such as blues and jazz and soul and funk and r&b and so forth and uh, one of the styles which grew out of the spiritual expression was the piano style ragtime and within this arrangement i've actually put a little bit of a ragtime dixieland feel
0: oh could you give us a bit of a demonstration of that please <laughs> Yes, I see exactly what you mean. I was thinking of reminders of, say, Scott Joplin there. All right, well, let me demonstrate yeah. the same on yeah. the piano.
1: The inner parts are singing. Very <laughs> Scott Joplin. <laughs>
0: With that kind of stride piano accompaniment that it's exactly, it's just so, so, so clear. But there's another element in this arrangement which you've incorporated. It wouldn't be quite right to say improvisation because you're not actually improvising tonight, but it celebrates a kind of element of improvisation in the gospel style, is that right?
1: That is correct. Improvisation, very, very important factor in the performance of gospel and spirituals. Again, coming back from the African influences where a lot of music is very highly improvised. We'll give an example of that. Well, great
0: getting up morning, well, great getting up morning, up morning, up morning, up morning, up morning, morning, up morning, Now the title Great Getting Up Morning, what's this about? A strong belief
1: existed and still exists among Christians today that one day all trouble will be over and this is an indirect response to the promises made so many hundreds of times in the Word of God of the return of Christ and this particular song is based on a letter which St. Paul sent to the Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 16 to 20 to be precise where he talks about the fact that when christ comes the dead in him shall actually rise so there shall be a resurrection of the dead so this was described by the the slaves as a great getting up morning so in other words god will come and he will ring the spiritual alarm clock
0: let's hear it getting up morning arranged by conductor Ken Burton. Well it certainly would be great getting up morning if my alarm clock made noises like that. <laughs> uh, now I gather that your next piece Ken is is rather different. Richard Smallwood is a professor of music so a different sort of company this time.
1: Professor of Music at Howard University in Washington DC. It's been around making gospel music for a very long time. Originally with the Richard Smallwood Singers, uh, an ensemble of about Five ladies who could actually sing, <laughs> really sing, now is working a lot with choirs. One of the chief characteristics of Richard Smallwood's style is the marrying of classical and gospel elements. And in this next piece we do, Total Praise, we will see how many of the traditional harmonies associated with classical music are actually integrated into... Gospel setting.
0: Yes, because when I was you rehearsing this afternoon, I thought there was one passage that reminded me of Bach.
1: It's the Amen at the End.
0: <clears throat> yes, it's unmistakable, definitely an influence of Bach there. But how does this music, this kind of music, fit into modern worship today? All gospel is worship. All worship music.
1: It loses its essence when it starts to become performance music. It's really about a shared experience of people who share a common faith in a living God. So when we start to make it into something that becomes a spectator activity, I think we actually lose the essence of what gospel is really about. Because It's not just about the notes and the sounds but it's really about the, the whole experience and the message in the music and we see a movement nowadays which is known as praise and worship which is where gospel music is at which are contemporary hymns and many churches both black and white around the world are actually embracing this type of new hymn where the congregation is really involved in, in singing songs of faith using a, a more contemporary idiom, but still having the depth of theology as in the traditional hymns. And total praise is an example of a praise and worship idiom of gospel.
0: In this case, there's a specific Bible reference, isn't there? It's one of my favorite psalms when I was a boy. Psalm 131, I'll lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. Is that that the one?
1: That is correct, yes. And certain texts had resonance when spirituals and gospel songs were being created, especially songs which spoke about God being personally in control of situations and a personal God who cares for us. So, this idea of lifting up our eyes to the hills, because that is where our help comes from, our help comes from God, is something that resonated with people who were in a a negative circumstance, but they always had hope in the fact that God was looking after them. Look
0: upwards. We look upwards, indeed. Yes. Well, let's hear this then. Total praise. Total Praise by Richard Smallwood, the London Adventist Chorale conducted there by Tina Brooks with director Ken Burton on the piano. Now Ken, one thing just listening to that, one thing that seems so typical of those gorgeous, scrunchy harmonies mm. that really send shivers up the back of your spine. Um, are those a modern invention or is that something that's typical of the gospel or spiritual style going right back?
1: That is something much more of an innovation. Mm the marrying together of the two styles, and increasingly we're finding many more gospel artists actually doing that. In fact, a lot of gospel groups are now using entire symphony orchestras.
0: It still seems to fit the style so well.
1: It does. It's an expression of faith to God, so I think that's what enables it to fit so well together. It's not just about musical elements, but the expression of faith.
0: Well now's the bit where audience participation is expected. So Ken is gonna lead us. I don't think any celebration of gospel would be complete if it was simply just performance on a stage. We've all got to be involved in this, haven't we Ken?
1: Absolutely. And we're gonna have the opportunity to go right back to an authentic performance of a spiritual. What you've heard the carousing this afternoon is known as the concertized spiritual. Spirituals in their natural form were much more improvised and much more repetitive and much more drawn out. But to make them suitable for concert performances then they were actually adapted and arranged by a large number of popular arrangers. So what we're going to do now is go back to the way in which a spiritual might have been performed before the concertized spiritual made its entry into this world. And we're going to use a spiritual entitled Wade in the Water. Underlying most spirituals is this element known as call and response, which comes back from the African practice where the community plays a very high role in everybody's life, and where the preacher of each community actually had a very high role and was highly esteemed. The call and response technique is simply where a call is made by a leader and response is given by the group. Guess who you are tonight? (laughs) Okay, you are the group tonight and you're going to be responding by singing the words, God's gonna trouble the water. Can we say this together? The inspiration behind this spiritual, in fact, were two biblical stories. One is an account where Jesus met a man who was crippled from birth, and he was by a pool at Bethesda, and it was thought that on occasions an angel of the Lord would come down and stir the waters, and the first person to step in would actually be healed. The second account which inspires this song is where God actually parted the Red Sea for the children of Israel to actually pass through on their exodus from Egypt. So bear that in mind as you sing that God's going to trouble the water. Doesn't mean that there's a problem with your shower at home, by the way. (laughs) Now uh, for this, we're going to get ourselves into voice parts. So we have some sopranos here. Okay, and altos, and tenors, and basses, and don't know. <laughs> right. Now, if you're soprano, you're going to sing this melody. <clears throat> God's going to trouble the water. God's going to trouble the water. All right, you've got the notes right. Great, now we need to get a little bit of spirit into it. God's are gonna trouble the water. Can we just say it all together? God's God's are gonna gonna trouble the the water. One more time, Sopranos, God's are gonna trouble the water. Here we go.
2: God's gonna trouble the water.
1: Great, altos, you're gonna sing? God's are gonna trouble the water. God's gonna trouble the water. All the altos. Altos about the corral. Gonna... <laughs> ah, you see, they're relying on you. You're carrying them. Okay. Right. God's going to trouble the water for you. One, two, three, and... God's going
2: to trouble
1: the water. Okay, so putting soprano and alto together. One, two, three, four. God's
2: going to trouble the water.
1: Great. Now we are going to the tenors. We're going to sing... God's going to trouble the water. God's going to trouble the water. Now, come on, man, don't let me down. One, two, three, and...
2: God's gonna trouble the
1: water. Well done. So three parts. Three parts together thus far. One, two, three, and... God's gonna,
2: God's gonna trouble the
1: water. Right, it's the part that we all love the most, the bass. The real man, not really. Okay. <laughs> God's are gonna trouble the water. and again audience everybody together right now as spirituals were spontaneous I'm going to do something rather spontaneous and call my colleague Tina out (laughs) (laughs) okay now collectively we will do like they did when they performed spirituals which Again, went on for hours it was their form of release and reaffirming their hope and their faith and trust in God. So what we're going to do, we're going to sing call phrases, and then we'll indicate, well, I'll indicate to you when you sing God's to God in trouble, the water. Okay, so let's just have a little rehearsal of this. Who's that man all dressed in white? God's when it looks like the leader of the years will light,
2: going to the
1: world. Simple. Okay. Right, now we're going to invite you all to stand, please. Now, each phrase is repetitive. But as these were sung, and this device is commonly referred to by its technical. Name, not just repetition, but it's known as uh, incremental iteration. I'll spell that for you. <laughs> <laughs> now, the in- incremental iteration, incremental means that uh, when you repeat it, there is something different from the last phrase. Because this is music with meaning, even though it's repetitive, but each repetition means something different. So you've either got to Think of an experience where God troubled the water for you. And then when you sing it next time, think of another experience. And then think of another experience. And if you can't think of another, then just imagine one. Okay, but each time you sing it, it's got to actually mean something. Okay, are we ready? All right. Wade in the water. Wait in the water, children, wait. In the water Cause it's gonna trouble the water
2: Wade in the water Wade in the water Children, Wade in the water Cause it's gonna trouble the water Cause it's gonna trouble the
1: water Well, who's that man all dressed in white? of the ears and who's that band all dressed in red God
2: is the water.
1: well it looks like the band that Moses led
2: God is
1: Now, for the second part of this now, one of the important instruments in African music is the drum. That is part of the African culture. In the Caribbean, they were allowed to keep their drums, but in North America, the drums were actually taken away because they were not only used in music, but also as a form of communication. So the ingenious slaves developed a way of retaining the drum. It was through hand claps or pats or stamping the feet. So those who couldn't sing, maybe just pat it. Those who couldn't pat, maybe just nodded. But what I want you to do now is just to get involved now in just making some percussive sounds, just uh, slapping or stamping or whatever you wish to do. As you wish to do. Okay, don't hit your neighbor. We're not right let's go i went to the valley didn't go for a stay well my soul got happy and i stayed all day oh wait in the water wait in the water children wait in the water When I'm sometimes up and I'm sometimes down.
2: The the
1: but still my soul feels heavenward bound. Oh, wait in the water. Help me quiet. Way in the water, chill Wait in the water. Children, wait in the water. God's gonna travel the water. God's gonna travel the water. God's gonna travel the water. Let's just hum that. Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: my Lord.
1: God's gonna travel the water. Two more times, God's gonna trouble. God's gonna trouble the water. One more time, God's gonna trouble the water.
0: Thank you, Ken. Thank you, London Adventist Corral, And thank you, everybody a really authentic taste Auditions tomorrow. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I'll be queuing up myself. Okay. Now there's one thing you said there, Ken, I thought was quite interesting. You were talking about drums being used to communicate messages. Are there examples in some of these spirituals, and the example the one we just heard, where there might be another kind of message being communicated?
1: On the plantations, slaves were actually not allowed to communicate to each other, and the church was the chief instrument for social change. The slaves actually used to meet together in what they called a brush arbor, where the trees cross. And they used to have what they called invisible church. And in their singing, they were not only expressing their profound faith in God, but they also used the singing as a means of communicating to each other. In the late 1800s, the Americans started building a railroad which ran north. And, on occasions, slaves would attempt to get onto the train in order to escape to freedom in what was their earthly promised land, up north in the United States or even in Canada. And very often they communicated in songs about the route of escape and some of the dangers on the way. one of the most popular spirituals is the gospel trains are coming. Get on board. Little children, there's room for many more. And this particular spiritual was thought to be originated with uh, Harriet Tubman, who was known as the, as the pharaoh, not the pharaoh, sorry, as a Moses. a <laughs> completely different character. Yeah. As the Moses uh, of, of the time, who actually helped a lot of slaves to freedom on the Underground Railroad. And the wading in the water, God's About to Trouble the Water, was an indication that something's about to happen and get ready to escape.
0: So coded messages really going on in these Coded songs.
1: messages, but yeah. that must not obscure the fact that these songs were primarily about faith. But because this was a way of actually sort of masking it from the slave masters at the time, they thought, of course, they may have just been singing their, their songs, but they, this was the only way that they could actually communicate to, to one another.
0: Are there any examples of this kind of thing in the next piece? We're going to hear true religion.
1: The words of the next piece, you must have that true religion or you can't cross here. And in the call and response section, there are questions posed. Where are you going, poor sinner? Where are you going, I say? And the response is, I'm going down to the river of Jordan. You can't cross here. So that was an indication of what might have been happening.
0: So in this case, not a good idea to cross at this time. (laughs) Possibly not. (laughs) Let's hear them. True religion. True religion. You
2: must have that true religion,
1: I just say that the message in that song was particularly pertinent to those in servitude at the time because they were taught a selective gospel and there were many texts which were emphasized such as servants obey your masters and it was felt that there was a slight hypocrisy actually happening at the time how one minute they could be whipped or, or lynched or separated from families and then the slave masters would go to church the next day and and praise God. So a song like that and many other spirituals actually allude to the fact that it's very important that yeah. we don't only talk religion but we
0: actually live it. So texts about <coughs> equality before God are maybe not ones that they were taught as well is that the kind of thing you're saying? Right, absolutely. Yeah. It was
1: very much uh, control, in a controlled situation. Mm. Yes.
0: Well it's time for our second bout of audience participation. Anybody any questions they'd like to ask? Yes, somebody over here. I tend to think of jazz as essentially a sort of secular response to human the human predicament. Gospel is obviously religious. Is there a clear dividing line between the two? Was there a tension? How did they mark themselves off from each other?
1: The spiritual, as I said, was a parent form and from the spirituals we got blues music, we got country blues and we get city blues and you're quite right when you observe that Jazz and blues was actually the, the sort of secular way of expression of the, the sorrows. Uh, many of the blues were actually created during a time of Great uh, Depression, when there was a lot of problems with the economy. And uh, jazz is, in fact, a sort of happier version of, of blues. So you, you mentioned jazz, but it's more the blues, which is more the sort of sorrowful, melancholic, uh, expressive music style, and jazz is a lot more sort of happy. And that's a, a marriage of blues and the ragtime piano style which actually gave jazz but you're quite right there is a, a line of demarcation and uh, that was one of the reasons why spirituals were later on named spirituals to actually differentiate them from the style of music which was similar but which was the blues.
0: A lot of jazz musicians and blues musicians actually started out didn't they in, in church playing in church I think of Fats Waller for instance or Art Tatum.
1: Indeed The person responsible for the creation of what we now know as the gospel style, Hammond organs and and the the improvisation and so forth, is somebody by the name of Thomas Dorsey. And uh, Elvis Presley made a a number of his songs quite popular, such as There Will Be Peace in the Valley and his most famous song, Precious Lord, Take My Hand. And he was actually formerly a jazz musician from Chicago, known as Georgia A. Tom. And he had a conversion experience Uh, We actually joined the church. And as a jazz musician, he said I'm going to employ many of my talents to the glory of God. So, in a way, what actually happened is that gospel went full circle. It created jazz, and many of the jazz elements actually sort of made their way back into the gospel sound.
0: How did people in the broader church, if you like, in America take to this new jazz-inspired kind of church music? I imagine some people would have been a bit prickly about it.
1: There were many, many problems and throughout the ages, change has always brought about problems with it. And uh, when this new music came, then yes, there were many, many who were dead set against it. Definitely, people were sort of thrown out of churches and said, you know, we like, you know, thanks for coming, but uh, please don't come again.
0: (laughs) Anybody else, any questions they would like to ask? Yes, gentleman at the back here. Ken, if the uh, slave masters were Christians, Um, And the people who um, were their slaves were animists when they came from Africa initially. Um, Who or what was it that persuaded the slaves that the uh, faith of the masters was worth taking on? In other words, that they became Christians themselves.
1: There is a common belief that people came from Africa, they were all heathens. Um, People had spirituality back from Africa. Um, I'll, I'll make that absolutely clear, that uh, they did have a faith back from Africa. I and mean, you're quite right, there were many, several faiths represented, and animism was actually one of them. Because they were actually on the plantations of the slave masters, then they would have actually gone to to church with them. Um, after emancipation, of course, the, the slaves, well, no longer slaves at the time, created uh, their own churches and their own organisations. And as I said before, the church was the chief uh, vehicle for social Change. So it wasn't just a meeting place for worship, but also to bring about a program of social justice as well. But in answer to your question, in, in a sentence, really, it was really uh, the, the slave masters who were actually introduced Christianity. But there was a faith which the Africans brought with them, and a lot of them were not easily tricked. When they were being taught sections of the Bible, they knew that certain things were missing.
0: Do we know who composed the music for the earliest of the spirituals?
1: No. <laughs> in a word, that's, that's the truth. Um, the, these were songs which grew out of um, African folk songs. And uh, people would have created them, because a lot of these were work songs. People sang them as they worked. And in fact, the slave masters demanded the slaves to actually sing while they worked, because it increased productivity. <laughs> but uh, they sang, because that was, that's, music is natural to African expression in every part of African life. You're born, you sing about it. You grow up, you sing about it. You go to college, you sing about it. You made a warrior or a chief, you sing about it. You pass your driving test, you sing about it. So everything, music, is really interwoven into the fabric of African life. And in fact, there are parts of Africa where there is no single word for music as a self-contained activity. And parts of Africa where there's no word for religion because all of life is considered sacred. You don't do religion and do secular. Everything, all of life, is sacred. So everything is within a religious Context Um, So this was their way of actually communicating to each other and when they went from Plantations to plantations they would actually take the songs with them Which is why you would actually find that very often you see different versions of spirituals in terms of the words Because we take them to one plantation They would change the words a little bit or they didn't quite hear what was said and to another plantation and the words would actually be be changed around
0: so our last number tonight, Jesus is a Rock. Does this show anything of the kind of African influence you've been talking about, Ken?
1: The African influence of improvisation, freedom, talking about the immediate situation. The question was asked earlier about do we know who wrote the spirituals, and we don't know who wrote them, but there's a general clue as to when they might have been written due to their lyrical content, which is about the immediate situation, and sometimes the lyrics were borrowed from hymns of Uh, the reformists such as Isaac, Watts, and Sankey, and and Wesley. This song actually has references which are from traditional hymns at the time, and that is an an African-American practice of actually taking snatches from the contemporary hymns of the time. Um, The general spirits with which a piece is sung, which is a very, very free, just let yourself go and express yourself, holding nothing back. And also the use of the pentatonic scale, which is a five note scale, not being facetious, but you can find it on the black keys of the piano. The actual lyrical content, which speaks about very personal experiences. I mean, one of the verses says, as God ever made a way when you didn't have a dime, well, would be ten pence in this country, Um, as he ever stepped in just right on time. Personal experience.
0: Personal testimony, very important in these things, yes. Yes. Well, thank you, Ken Burton. This has been a fascinating experience for me this afternoon, particularly hearing your wonderful London Adventist chorale singing this uplifting music. So here to end today's programme is Jesus is a Rock, performed by the London Adventist chorale, conducted by Tina Brooks, with director Ken Burton at the piano.